I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 There are new dreams crowding out old realities. There's revolution sweeping in like a fresh new breeze. Let the old world make believe blind and abandoned. But nothing can change the shape of things 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 to come Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And this week we have a great guest, Chuck Missler of Quinnia House is here. Yes. And we have to go real quick to the interview. Yep. Because we have a lot of information. All right. Let's just go right so to it right we'll now. We'll talk about it later. So with no further ado, here is Brother Chuck Missler. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future with... And I am Tom Bionic. And we have a special treat for you tonight. We have joining us someone who is the most requested guest that our listeners ask us to have who has never yet been on our show. Well, as a personal aside, I would say that this guy, uh, I've listened to more of his Bible teachings than probably any other single teacher out there. Really? Yeah. Oh, he's a, and that says he's a, a lot because we have some truly amazing intellectual, Christian intellectuals oh, on yeah. our show. But with no further ado, I would like to welcome Dr. Chuck Missler of the Koinonia House Publishing and Koinonia Institute to our show. Welcome to Future Quake. Nice to be with you guys. I certainly appreciate the endorsement and the encouragement. Uh, your encouraging words, it means a great deal. Well, Thank we're you. we're two groupies of yours, uh-huh, uh-huh, truly. <laughs> well, and uh, well, you're, at, you're at the right place because the people who hang out at Future Quake and regular Futurians listening mm-hmm. are the kind of people that like the stuff you do. Okay, and, well, we, we should pray for them then. You guys <laughs> well, you're, with, you're with the right, with the right gang. Um, although um, I do have to mention to listeners again, I think I probably told them before that it's still a lot for me to get over you calling me Dr. Futile in the elevator. <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> I will it's never a, live that down. It's a, cathar- that down. it's a catharsis. You've got to have a spirit of forgiveness. <laughs> well, go. one day if I'm UN Secretary or something, maybe I'll have the power to, to get back. But we're going to yeah, leave it go. at that, and we'll consider your visit on our show. We'll, we'll call it even from there. Yeah. And uh, I'll, ask your, I'll ask for your forgiveness. <laughs> well, this is what I really wanted, was to be able to have you here with us and for you to, to bless a, a group of people here listening in the Nashville area who um, may just listen to things strictly along de- denominational lines. Uh, we are here uh, broadcasting over the airwaves in a town that's the home of Lifeway Bookstores, the head of the Southern Baptist Convention, the Foreign Mission Board, uh, a number of large groups, a number of Christian universities here downtown that all listen to this particular radio station. And it's amazing there might be a few people out there who still not heard a Chuck Missler. Or you talk, so they're going to be in for a treat uh, for our interview. <laughs> well, thank you. I, appreciate, I appreciate the coverage. That's great. Well, yeah. I, I have uh, told people before that if I was on a deserted island and I can only have one set of reading materials aside from the Bible, it would be uh, your Koinonia Bible study materials. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That, that, my goodness. That's high praise indeed. Well, uh, I certainly appreciate the bouquet. Uh, that kind of encouragement we can all use. Your, your full range from soup to nuts of Bible study materials that you have, are, are so adequately sufficient. Yeah. 
in going the depth of the word, that if that was all I had access to, I would be an extremely learned man in God's word well, and would heading, really grow in the word. And I just want to encourage you're, everyone. You're, you're, heading, you're heading me for a fall. <laughs> <laughs> i got to be really on my guard yeah. now. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, uh, I know I'm not alone. Since, as I understood, oh, yeah. your your Bible study materials, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, have been used by more people than any other on earth. Is that to your knowledge? I don't know that. I'm, I haven't haven't thought in those terms. Well, I, I understand I, you have some large group like uh, what, fire firefighters for Christ. Sure, you betcha. They, they, we've been when they started, I started. We were sort of almost hand in hand in those very very early days. You betcha. So you probably goodness. had literally tens of uh, books. And materials come out of your half, place, right? Half a dozen. <laughs> I think, how many are you say? Tens. <laughs> we, have, we have the entire Bible. Do, no, a dozen or two dozen uh, uh, copies. You, you actually rank in the millions, correct, of the number of uh, oh, pieces yeah. of literature oh, oh, hidden I, out I, your door? Yeah, 20 or 30 probably. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, uh, although many of our listeners are, are somewhat familiar with you, and most of them are very familiar with you, um, for our people who are our new listeners or that are not that familiar with, with the uh, materials that you publish, could you very briefly describe your background and credentials and, and what okay, led to your I, founding yeah, okay. of the Coinage House? I, I grew up in Southern California. I was a techie kind, even as a kid. I was a radio ham since I'd been about nine and all that sort of thing. I was heading for a, a, you know, I was, uh, I was a, you know, a math science major in high school. I was heading for Stanford uh, pursuing a double, you know, a double E uh, degree. When I got an appointment to the Naval Academy, which the glamour of which attracted me, so hmm. I graduated with honors from Annapolis, from the Naval Academy of Annapolis, and I took my commission in the Air Force, which was a coveted option back in those days. This was 1956, and uh, after an air, I flew in the Air Force, then I was I left the Air Force as a branch chief of Department of Guided Missiles. Then I was in, in the think tank environment, the intelligence community environment for a while, um, uh, and uh, then I ended up to make a long story short. I uh, ended up uh, be on the board about 12 public boards over a 30-year career in the in the strategic arena. I was chairman and CEO of six different public companies, four of which were defense contractors, hmm. and, uh, and that that sort of summarizes my you know professional so-called professional mm-hmm. environment. My my I've got graduate degrees in in uh, information science and so forth. Anyway. Um, what also needs to be said, though, along the way, as even as a teenager, one of my pri- my primary hobby was the Bible. I got very interested in the Bible very early, and uh, as I matured technologically in the information sciences, I found it even more and more uh, involved with the Scripture for me. So that was my primary recreation during a 30-year executive career. So during that time, the firefighters for Christ and others were. I was running around Southern California in, in my spare time just doing Bible studies, and mm-hmm. I ended up doing the Monday night Bible studies at Calvary Chapel close to Mesa for about 25 years, but as a layman. Mm-hmm. But an old friend of mine that I've known for 40 years at least uh, is Hal Lindsey, and he's the one that grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, if you will, and said, has it ever occurred to you that you should make your hobby your profession? And I indicated right. to him I never felt a calling as a pastor, but... Mm. Uh, and I uh, said, you don't have to. If you got some titles out there, you couldn't. Uh, you, you, you could you could survive doing what you like doing best. So, give it a try. And so, for for the last 15, maybe 17, 18 years, I've been doing it full time. I set my executive career sort of on hold, and uh, I, I'm still on a board or two, but that's very casual. I'm really uh, spent a little time uh, growing, uh, uh, using Cornea House as a publishing entity as my primary publisher. Uh, Thomas Nelson and some others do a few things, but anyway. Uh, uh, along the way, something else has occurred that's worth mentioning, I guess, is that I realized as I reflect on a very diversified technology background that there was almost every piece of it has fit into my my perspective of the scripture in one way or another. 
but there's a segment of my background that uh, never really surfaced, and I began to realize it may be what God is also calling me to do, and that is to to uh, uh, to help organize a think tank for Christians that's a volunteer and on the internet, and that led to the emergence of Cornelia Institute, which is now my primary thrust. You cannot take all. We have commentary, verse by verse commentaries in the entire Bible. But uh, you cannot take them as courses and get university credit for them because there are a number of places that will accept our transcripts from the Institute uh, for up to half of the degree requirements all the way to the Ph.D. So, uh, But that's not the real motivation. The primary thing, we now have a way to to have interactive Bible studies on the Internet, and we now have uh, participants or members uh, world, in 20 countries. And uh, we, we what makes us a little distinctive, it's not everything is Bible study. We have three tracks of study. The, the, the primary one is verse-by-verse study of the, of the Bible as the inerrant Word of God. We call that the Berean tract, if you will, or avenue of study. Mm-hmm. But what makes us distinctive from, say, a Bible institute or something in the summer is that we have a second track or avenue uh, we call the Issachar track, which deals with, uh, it, it takes its label from First uh, Chronicles 12.32, to be like the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what their country had to do. So that's the area mm-hmm in which we focus on prophecy and also stewardship kinds of things. And we've also discovered that the tools in the Berean track and the tools in the Issachar track are opposite. In the Berean track, you know the Bible's true, the challenge is to understand it. Mm-hmm. In the Issachar track, you're dealing with information that's biased, uh, that has its own agenda, that's corrupted. Uh, your challenge there is a whole different set of tools to try to understand what's really going on, what's the truth, in other words. But uh, then the third track, to make a three-legged stool here, the third track we call the Koinonos track, it's motivated by the third commandment, which we are, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, which we argue has nothing to do with vocabulary, it has to do with ambassadorship. If you're going to take the name mm-hmm. of the king, you want to be prepared to represent him competently and faithfully. So those three tracks uh, are, are uh, where we organize our various activities, and we basically covenant with our participants to help, to, as, they, as they determine what God's called them to do, we covenant to help them get there. And uh, so we have, uh, we also encourage our members to balance their activities in those three tracks. That is not not just Bible studies alone, but the Berean track, the Issachar track, and the Koinus track each have certain requirements at different levels. When you get to the first level of all three, we award a little bronze medallion deal. And then if you get to the next level, it's just all, on all three, you get a silver, then a gold, and so forth. So we have a, and that's turned out, we have a very, very spirited, uh, committed a member base and uh, when you uh, take a course on the internet you're in a class of say 12 people the people in that class be in israel finland bangkok maine whatever even nashville can you imagine and so the uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. the uh, uh the point is you really there's really bonding that takes place and suddenly you're in a mm-hmm. fellowship that has no borders geographically or denominationally bonded by just one thing and that's taking the word of god as you know as inerrant and uh, mm-hmm. Very simple, minimalistic, minimalistic statement of faith, and we have a handbook that's on on our website that tells how this all works and gives all the stuff. So that it's and it's different. Our, our publishing website's khouse.org, but the campus is studycenter.com. And with apologies to our European friends, we misspell center. S D U S D U D Y C E N P E R dot com and uh but that's our campus and that's where all this takes place and uh so uh that's that's probably our primary thrust and the reason this comes up is because of some of the subjects we're going to talk about here because what we don't generally talk about openly but what we privately believe 
we, first of all, we are really convinced, for a lot of reasons I won't weary you with on this broadcast, but uh, we believe that uh, God's hand is in all the details here. We really feel drawn into this by him. But we think mm-hmm. God is putting new wine and new skins. We suspect that our primary mission, which isn't really stated that way in our materials, but our primary role here is to train the leadership for the underground church. Mm-hmm. We think that the Gutenberg Press was the technology that made the Reformation possible. And, of course, with modern broadcast techniques, both audio and TV, we have a huge outreach going on around the world by all kinds of groups. But we think this, the interactive uh, nature of the Internet, along with the incredible information appliances that are now readily available, uh, we think that this God is providing the body, the tools, and the instrumentation to be able to go underground in an in mm-hmm. a uh, in a uh, uh, you know in an unstructured, amorphous, mm-hmm. independent uh, form, and it, strangely, it puts us back into the first century. We think that's why I call it the once and future church. In mm-hmm. other words, right. everything in the Book of Acts occurred in homes. And uh, I just finished um, 40, uh, 40 sessions in twenty cities around the world. Just got back, and one of the things I'm totally I'm totally stunned with what I experienced because in each of our venues around the world, Australia, New Zealand, and so forth. We had packed venues in which, when I asked the audience, how many of you are studying the Bible in homes during the week? 70% of the hands went up. And, wow. I, I, and that just blew me away because it's been my perception over my 60 years as a Christian that where people really grow is in small groups where you can ask questions about embarrassment and so forth. The Holy Spirit really moves in the small groups. And, uh, but this is something that even though we've encouraged it in our uh, history area, but we, we're not really that, we're not that effective at promotion, and I don't know who else is really promoting this per se. I don't think mm-hmm. this is a result of someone's program. I think it's the Holy Spirit from the grassroots up, and people are getting hungry to really understand the Word of God. Mm-hmm. They're beginning to discover that a 45-minute sermon on a Sunday morning once a week doesn't cut it, that they really need to get into the Word of God in a small group during the week. Sometimes it's a neighborhood deal some evening, uh, and often there's businessmen that will meet for breakfast on Thursdays or whatever, but they have different formats. But what bonds them together is a pursuit of the Word of God on a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter basis. And uh, I think that's the most exciting thing. We're going to talk about a lot of things probably on this program. That's right. And there's a lot of clouds, dark, very, very dark clouds on our horizon, especially, oh, yeah. in, especially in America. And we'll be talking about oh. all that negative stuff, I'm sure. But the bright spot through all this is that God is moving, He's in control, and He's raising up His own from grassroots up, and I'm excited about that. That's, I think right. that's what it's really all about. That's why we call it the once and future church. That is, it's actually, it's, you know, it's, it's the first century uh, in motion again. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think the most important question I have to ask up front about what you just shared uh, regarding your institute and the campus is how was the football and basketball team there? <laughs> are they there having are, a good year this year? We're, we're, I you, our, our real teams are doing primarily what we call practicums. And uh, we had a team that went with us to Israel. We go to Israel twice a year. Uh, we went to Israel with a team, and they were appalled. We went over there. We, we adopted an Arby base or something. And they were on this one Arby base, just to, and they were appalled at the officer's quarters. So they, they covenanted, raised the money, went back, and rebuilt them as a practicum. Whoa. And, and, and uh, so the, these kinds of projects, we, we're, we're into Olympic guys. You know, they define their own projects, but we try to help them. Uh, but uh, they just 17 guys uh, descended on the 605th uh, engineering base there up in Galan and uh, uh, just uh, rebuilt the officers' uh, wow. uh, barracks to, that be, to be more presentable and so forth. And 
it's it's uh, just something you want to do. We have a, 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 a optional thing we call Bless Israel. Find some way to 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 help them, encourage them, whatever. And so that's what they chose to do. So uh, mm. we tend we don't tend we have to my knowledge. I don't think we have any sports teams, but you we probably, do have. You get asked that all the time. I bet, don't you, in interviews? <laughs> no one has that before, but uh, but we do have uh, we do have competitions. Uh, uh-huh. We have a we have a uh, uh, we have we don't deal in term papers within the institute. We deal in presentations. Uh-huh. We've discovered it's easier to teach someone how to make a, a bullet briefing, a five minute briefing in PowerPoint, sure. than it is to write prepare. And so uh, what they ter- what they do is they it, we have five, fifteen, and forty five minute packages depending on what the assignments uh-huh. are. But the point is, mm-hmm. we have a contest going on right now that uh, for the best bullet briefing. You know, on the Issachar track, uh, we have our big annual meeting every October, right, October 25th. The, 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 the top three briefings are going to win prizes. Uh, and some of them are going to win a, a trip to Israel as part of the thing. So we have those kinds of things. They, they, the prizes get sponsored by donors. Wow. But, uh, uh, so uh, you know, there's, there is a lot of high-spirited fun. And some of it's competitive, but not not in the not in the physical right. sports sense. And well, I would I would suggest if you could make a conference, you could put back to the Bible and maybe open windows in there. That I'd I'd put money on Koinonia House if you did. <laughs> yeah. You know, it'd be very interesting to know what's your technical background, your science background, how that influences your approach to the Bible. Because well, I, I, I was interested. Well, I, I was when I was in, even in high school, I had an interest in physics way back. I belonged right. to the Astronomical Society, the LES. Uh, Los Angeles Astronomical Society up in Griffith Park. We used to, we build a, you know, you build your own telescope, grind your own mm-hmm. mirrors, that sort of, and, and also, I, I, I was just, when, at Friday evenings, our idea of an out, out, uh, uh, you know, uh, an outlet was to go over to Caltech and sit in the private, you know, sit in the Friday evening lectures. So I was interested <laughs> in physics way, way back, and, and, uh, uh, but I have a, I have master's degrees in engineering and mm-hmm. business from UCLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also done uh, graduate uh, math work at uh, Denver and University of Colorado when I was in the Air Force. But I uh, ended up getting my doctorate from Louisiana Baptist University. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the I just always had a fairly broad-based interest in the frontiers of science, and that mm-hmm. tends, of course, to to embroider some of my interests uh, as we get it. Our, our book, our Genesis, we have a Genesis commentary. We spend a full-hour session right. on each day of creation. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Genesis commentary is—it's uh, multimedia, of course, but it—it's—I uh, understand it's being circulated in the government laboratories. So, huh. so we Whoa. tend to deal with some of mm-hmm. these issues uh, from a technical perspective. For example, right. um, most of us today, I think, realize that we don't live in three dimensions; we live in four, three spatial dimensions, right. and and time. Right? Well, in Ephesians chapter three, verse eighteen, that's exactly what Paul says. He lists the four dimensions. Right. And uh, you miss that if you just read it. But if you're sensitive to the to the current perceptions of particle physics, you know that we have four spatial dimensions and there's six other dimensions that are only inferable by indirect means. In fact, on the 10th of September, they're going to throw the big switch on the hadron, the large hadron collider, and, and to try to. Ho- they may even they're hopeful of maybe even discovering more about our basic uh, reality here. So, and anyway, the point is. Uh, some of these things, the more you know about real advanced science, and the more you know about your Bible, the more you see them converging. I'm not talking right. about speculations in science. So much of what we what masquerades as science are really conjectures, built upon conjectures. And uh, but if you're talking true empirically based science, uh, the more you know about it. Uh, the, the in, fa- in fact, Nachmanides, who was a, a, mm-hmm. a Hebrew sage in the 13th century, published in the 13th century. He concluded from a study of Genesis that the universe has ten dimensions, only four are knowable and six are not knowable. Right. 
Now, he did that from geometrical considerations, I believe. But anyway, what's, what makes it so interesting to me is the current thinking of the particle physicists, is that sure. we live in 10 dimensions. Mm-hmm. Four are directly measurable. Six of them are curled in less than 10 to the minus 35 centimeters, and therefore are inferable by only by indirect means. So I'm, I find that fascinating because we're spending millions of dollars on atomic accelerator, a nuclear, you know, mm-hmm. particle accelerators, uh, to discover what Nachmanides did. Yeah, <laughs> here's sure. his homework in the in the Genesis text. Well, so. I just want to I want to mention to our listeners whose heads may be spinning right now who are not familiar with you, that this is the kind of thinking that goes on with your materials mm-hmm. where you have cutting edge, very intelligent discussions that are up to date on what's going on in the world, but you apply it from a strong biblical foundation. And I find you to be so unique in that aspect and what you do. And the reason why I brought up your, your your technical background, I think it actually influences the way one would even approach the Bible. And and maybe that's why it clicks with me. My my PhD is in mechanical engineering, so I come from that uh-huh. direction. I I was yeah, a, yeah. a leader at the Air Force Research Labs for 16 years in developing oh, really? uh, uh-huh. aviation okay. technologies and safety and survivability. And and so it creates a certain approach. And we have a lot of people. Uh, talking about doctrinal prophecy issues on our show that come from a technical background. Uh, and I find that's something whose time has come, and I, I try to encourage that more. Uh, what you were talking about, about what you're seeing going on in the world, and I want you to, to elaborate that in a little bit more detail right now. Uh, when, when you talk about the opportunity we have right now, I'm assuming you're going to tell us, from what I know of you, that the opportunity may be short-lived. And oh, yeah. while it's a wonderful opportunity, the door may open and close, much like in Russia, where we had a window of a few years to get in and establish churches and to help build up the church. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Putin comes in and starts uh, shutting a lot of that down. And we see windows open and then windows close. And the access to technology like the Internet may be short-lived for all of us, not just Christians, but, but other people as well with the Internet too and things like that that are coming up. And that's what we try to do here is to try to get information out while it's available. Uh, I know in uh, the end of the book of Daniel, uh, it talks about in the last days how knowledge will greatly increase and people go into and fro. And I wonder if, in fact, what we're talking about is a fulfillment of that. But the question is the short-lived nature of it. So if you can comment on that and also about what else you see going on in world events uh, that you think are they're going to be coming together in the upcoming years and how that's going to impact the church in the West and our daily <laughs> operations and mission. <laughs> that's that's yeah. a pretty diversified uh, Yeah, very light. Uh, you've got yeah, right. you, in 60 seconds or less. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and we're timing you, yes. Well, I think that, uh, for, I guess the first thing, it's interesting to discover that the queen of the sciences, the really leading edge uh, technology in all the sciences, turns out to be the information sciences. Hmm. If you're in biology, the big frontier, of course, is the whole DNA code and all of that. That's a, the frontier is the information. Uh, if you're in the physics, of course, it's the same thing. It, it, it's interesting that in each general field of science, the cutting edge, is what you technically would call your label as the information sciences. And that's one thing that fascinates me about the Bible, because the, the, the whole scripture, the more you know about the information sciences, the more fascinating the whole uh, scripture becomes. You know, you hear a lot of uh, these characters get in, involved with the equidistant letter sequences, the ELSs. Right. Right. Well, you discover now that not only are there ELSs in the Bible, we also discover that's the secret to the DNA. In the, mm-hmm. the RNA transforms, they have the introns and the extrons, and they 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 edit it to get the proteins they want. Well, uh, <laughs> some of the same things going on in the biblical text, strangely enough. So, mm-hmm. I guess what's interesting as you re- as you get into some of these areas is you discover that the uh, you know uh, well the DNA is an example. It's a three out of four error correcting digital code. 
Now, there's not probably one engineer in a thousand that can, die, can design a error-correcting code. You can de- design error detection codes where you have parity bits or whatever to discover there may be an error in a transmission. But designing an error-correcting code is tricky. If you use 11 bits per byte rather than 8, you can make it error-correcting. And uh, there are machines in the intelligence community that run that way. The point is, we discover that the DNA is designed that way. It's a 3 out of 4 error-correcting code. And uh, so, uh, you, you know, the two, you know, there's another thing. I just, uh, I'm just sort of prattling here, but I think it'll touch where you're going here. When I was in the Rand Corporation, back in 1955, the Rand Corporation published a book that was a milestone of its time called A Million Random Digits. If you pick that, I have one here. If you pick this up and you open it up, it's just random numbers. The whole book, and the average person would say, well, that's stupid. It's just a, it's a book of random numbers. No. It was considered a breakthrough at the time. Why? Because they used the best computers to make sure that there was no periodicity, no symmetry, no predictability of any of the numbers, that they were truly random. And that turned out to be, that that invoked the, the leading edge of our understanding of mathematics to accomplish that. And so that book turns out to be a useful device for people who are in laboratories that have, for some reason, a need for a sequence of random numbers. It turns out you can't do that in a computer. The best you can do is to generate what they call a pseudo-random number, a stream of numbers that have that approximate the properties of randomness. But they, they they're never perfect because they come out they come from an algorithm, which which is a self-defeating idea. The point that I'm getting at is this: that book was meaningful because they were able to demonstrate total absence of design. There was no patterning, no symmetry, no periodicity, you name it. Now that what I'm getting across is what's clear to anyone that understands information science, randomness is the opposite of design. Now once you understand that, you you watch today's rhetoric and you stand back astonished that it is that they're trying to attribute the most elegant designs we've ever encountered to the operation of randomness. See, I thought you were alluding to our show, because many of our listeners have called it <laughs> random electrons going out. They also use the term noise for it. It just astonishes me that in our schools, you know, uh, that, they, that uh, we, we in, uh, insist that our kids get taught that we are the results of just randomness. And that it so violates logic, so violates empirical demonstration. It, it's just it's interesting that we're forcing ignorance on our culture, mm-hmm. and then we wonder why our kids, why you have Columbine High School, why you have these bizarre outbreaks, because we teach them they have no uh, uh, destiny, etc. Mm-hmm. It's it's anyway. I'm I'm prattling here a little bit. Getting back to the technology, though, it's interesting that as you look at all the, if you there are people that have written papers about extra, you know, communication extraterrestrial intelligence, and they've even defined the requirements for a language. For extra and, and as you just as you explore that, you discover there is a language on the planet Earth that meets the requirements. There's only one that does. It happens to be Hebrew, because it is self-parsing. There are five of the 22 letters. There's five that have a different form if it's the last letter of a word. So it turns out to be self-parsing. But more to the point, every letter, most alphabets are phonetic, whether it's you know the Cyrillic alphabet, the mm-hmm. our Latin, whatever. Mm-hmm. The Hebrew alphabet isn't just phonetic, it's conceptual. They're semines, not phonemes. 
uh, every Hebrew word has at its root three letters. If you know the meaning of the three letters, and they each have uh, uh, definable uh, uh, meanings themselves, if you combine those, if, if you know the meaning of the letters, you read the word, you not only know how to pronounce it, you know how it, what it means. Uh, let me give mm-hmm. you an example. The first letter is the Aleph, which looked, was, originally looked like a longhorn steer. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a right. A. So we have the Aleph, the first letter in the Hebrew. And it is first, or also like an ox, it represents strength. Okay, good, no problem. Mm-hmm. The second letter looks like a little horizontal line with a teepee on it. It's the Beth, or the, what later becomes a B, if you will, in, in, in the Phoenician letters and so on. The, uh, the, so if, uh, the Beth, of course, means house. Okay? Well, if you take an, an Aleph, and a Beth together, that's the leader of the house. No problem. If you take a hey, which is the breath, the hey, like Henry Higgins did with Liza mm-hmm. Blue you know, the, if you take the, the, the breath, the hey, which represents the essence or the spirit, whatever, the ruach, if you will, and you put that in the middle of a word, it represents the essence of whatever the word would mean otherwise. So if you take the A and the B, that's ab, that means father, you put the hey in the middle of it, you have the essence of the father, and that turns out to be their word for love. Because love mm-hmm. is the essence of the love. You suddenly begin to realize that the letters are not just phonetic, but conceptual. Mm-hmm. And you also discover that the numerical value of the letters starts to carry meaning. The, le- the word for mm-hmm. uh, pregnancy adds up to 271, which is the length of pregnancy. Right. The, and you take the word for year, it adds up to 355, because it's mm-hmm. a lunar year. And, and, and on it goes. So the point is, as you start to study the Hebrew alphabet, the more you know about information science, the more stunning it becomes because it's also been designed for encryption. All the vowels, it has no vowels, they're all consonants. The vowels are inferred. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing you do if you've been in cryptology, you try to get the redundancy out because all codes get broken down because of excessive redundancy. So you get rid of the redundancy. First thing you do is get rid of the vowels. And uh, in Hebrew, it's already done for you. Right. And, uh, and on it goes. We could go prattle on and on and on. Yeah. But the, 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 the point is, the more you know about the information sciences, then, then the, the, the more astonished. In fact, that leads to the basic discovery that is the foundation of our ministry, by the way. I didn't get to that earlier, and I probably should now. There are two discoveries that changed my life, discovered very early and have been reconfirmed all through my life. The first discovery is that the 66 books that we glibly call the Bible, these 66 books, even though they were penned by over 40 different guys over almost 2,000 years, we discover it's an integrated message. And I don't mean just thematically, that every detail in it is by deliberate design. And that's something you have to discover personally. Just mm-hmm. to be telling you right. mm-hmm. But once you discover that personally, it's stunning to realize that it's, a, it's a, a design package. And once you discover that, you stumble into the second discovery, which is that the origin of that message had to come from outside our time domain. Why? because it lays out history before it happens. And the ultimate history it lays out, it lays out the, the origin, the details, and the destiny of a person. In the Hebrew, they call him the Messiah. And we, call, we, we, we draw from the Greek and call him Christ. But the point is, it's the image of a person. And, and, and uh, uh, so those two discoveries, that it's an integrated package, the 66 books are a design package, that, and if it's designed from outside time, See, if God has the technology to create us in the first place, he has the technology to get a message to us. The trick is, sure. how does he authenticate it? How does he let us know that the message that's laying in front of us is really from him and not some kind of a contrivance or a fraud or, worse, even a contrivance of an adversary? How do we know it's really from him? 
One way he does that is to rely on an attribute that he alone has. Because God is an eternity. That doesn't mean he has lots of time. It means he's outside time. Mm-hmm. And he, he makes that boast all through the scripture that I alone know the end from the beginning and the things which are, you know, uh, uh, are not yet done. So as he lays out the history of nations, as he lists, lays out the details, even the genealogy and the career of people, uh, as he writes a letter to Cyrus the Persian 150 years before he's born, calls it by name, lays out his career in such detailed terms that when he takes over Jerusalem, he releases the captives because of that letter mm-hmm. that written in Isaiah that Daniel presents to him at the gate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it goes on and on. So the point is, when you realize the reverence and the awe that this package of 66 books rep- you know, represents, uh, it changes everything. It changes everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, that's my complaint with uh, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion. I think he did a remarkable job in many ways, but there's two huge defects to that movie. The first one, it gives you the impression that the, tra- the crucifixion was a tragedy. Mm-hmm. And it was not. It was planned before the foundation of the world. It, yeah. it was an achievement. Yeah. And the second thing, it, it doesn't get across. I don't know how he could, if, uh, but it's who he was. He wasn't a great teacher or a great mm-hmm. example or all that kind of thing. No. He was a creator incarnate, and once you understand that, that sounds so preposterous at first, but once you understand that, mm-hmm. boy, it's mind-blowing to really understand what's going on. So anyway, I'm prattling here, but the point, I guess what I'm getting at is our, I get so tired of these commentators who want to say, even, even Christians say, well, you can't prove the Bible, but, and it goes on. John Hannity often says that with one of his guests, he, you know. Right. Uh, well, I was, I, was like, just, I was just at a conference where a lot of this kind of discussion was going on. You know, I've shared with you uh-huh. before. But uh, right now we live in a day and age where in the European Union, their council has just passed an, an official edict that uh, uh, Darwinism is the official belief system of the European Union and says that creationism is not only in error, but people who believe it are basically enemies of the state. That they are. Well, I'm, a, not, a, I'm not surprised because I, I, uh, here in the United States, it's practically true also. Because mm-hmm. if you have a career in science, you generally, at great peril, uh, allow them to realize it might be a, a creationist. And, and what's so fascinating is the leaders in science broadly are acknowledging that Darwinism is no longer a viable explanation of what mm-hmm. we think we know. And uh, this started, in a sense, with uh, Michael Denton back in 1986. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three big guys that are uh, articulating it today, of course, is uh, Philip Johnson, Michael Behe, and uh, William Dempsey, the whole, uh, mm-hmm. the whole idea of intelligence and design. Mm-hmm. The, the, the reality is that what we know empirically about science, uh, evolution is no longer a viable explanation in fact it is uh, uh, literally uh, uh, denied by uh, the mathematics of the information theorists sure so, even the complexity uh, of the dna molecule statistically i don't think randomly uh, it could create the the randomness would be more than all the molecules in the universe from what i understand yeah exactly to be able to create that sophisticated structure uh the 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 concern that we really have right now in this area we we understand that that knowledge unfortunately uh as far as politically correct knowledge is great greatly decreasing while true uh the the, the, the real knowledge because of political correctness but we have a scenario we've entered now well and and you're going to also discover to see how we'll see how this election comes out here in this country but at the same time this whole thing, this incorrectly labeled fairness doctrine, 
is going to be invoked yeah. again, and that can right. be done with the stroke That's of a pen, which really is going to make scary. programs like this one illegal. Where the, the 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 Democratic Party is anxious, the liberals, as they're called, are anxious to to uh, to, to squelch the the conservatives on conservative radio and what have you, and, and uh, they did they, they were succeeded for a while until Reagan reversed it again, fortunately. But it's it'll be coming back again. I just right. I see stuff every day uh, about from the Media Research Council and others that are trying to fight this. But if the Democrats gain control of the Congress and 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 should they, God forbid, get the presidency, well, um, then uh, you can expect a, a government censorship. You're going to find programs like this uh, illegal, right? And you're going to find our schools plunged even further into the dark ages, and uh, it's astonishing because well, it's, uh, it goes quite it goes totally against the very values that made this country great. Well, the, the, the information that we've covered on our show here, uh, you know, I'm, I mentioned the European Union. I, I think actually the, the edict they passed in October said that people who believed in creationism were enemies of democracy, according to their own terms. And we know in Germany they've taken such a hard line with homeschooling that, in fact, they'll take yeah. your children away and put them in psychiatric care. And, in fact, we had some missionary, U.S. missionaries that had to be smuggled out to keep them from, from them taking their children because they're homeschooled. But we're, we have scenarios and pastors in Australia who are being thrown in jail because they're reading from the Quran to tell people what the Quran actually says. We have pastors in California, or excuse me, in Canada that are going to jail because they're actually uh, uh, preaching from the pulpit about homosexuality and the impact. And we're having similar things happen in the U.S. And now we have hate crime legislation that's being considered in the halls of Congress now that will bring that back home here. So with all that and and additional information you have, what do you see for the future as far as the church's ability, particularly here in the West, to be able to proclaim the good news with absolute freedom and without any type of restriction? Well, I think, first of all, the freedoms are rapidly eroding, which, of course, is going to detail the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech and so forth. Uh, that's that's happening. We we no longer we in fact we ran a um, a tombstone in our news journal, a, a memorandum of the heralding the death of the Constitution with some of the executive orders that Bush signed and so forth. The All point right. is mm-hmm. that uh, our uh, we do, we no longer have a rule of law in this country. Most people don't realize that uh, the the corruption in the court system, uh, the, the, the it, it, it's it's astonishing. The 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 fact that in California. Four judges can now overrule four, six million voters. You know, the, it's astonishing to see the judiciary uh, totally uh, uh, really deserves. There is a remedy for that. It's called impeachment, but uh, uh, it has been done in the past. Mm-hmm. But you don't have a political will, I think, to pull it off today. But the, the, the balance of power, the powers that make our constitution operative, are no longer in balance. And uh, mm-hmm. so we've got, and we've got uh, the executive branch trying to, you know, doing legislation called the Fast Track Program for these treaties. You've got just total blurring of the so-called separation of powers, which was the basis on which our freedoms are protected, and they're no longer protected. You've got a press. The duty of the press is to be the watchdog of the government in a democracy. Right. Well, our, our mainline media is so corrupt, it's astonishing. It wasn't that long ago, a few years ago, when all four major media knowingly published information they knew was false in a deliberate attempt to unseat a sitting president during time of war. That used to be called treason. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a previous administration uh, during Clinton, Clinton years. It's astonishing to make a list of the people that were murdered. There were over 100 murders just covering mm-hmm. yeah. up the Vince Foster murder. Mm-hmm. And you had Ron Brown, the, the Secretary of Commerce. You had William Colby of the CIA. You had... Uh, 
Admiral uh, Gary Borda, the, the head of chief, the chief of naval operations. All these people died under mysterious conditions that uh, don't bear scrutiny. It's, it's, it's astonishing. So the net, the net of it is, is that, uh, and I'm not blaming the persons themselves, Bill and Hillary, per se, mm-hmm. but the power behind them is the most sinister uh, crime syndicate you can conceive of. And that's why it astonishes me to see the, the, the Democrat during I watch the political rhetoric mm-hmm. in the Democratic conventions over, and I just sit there stunned. People have, don't they have a memory? These people should be in prison. You know, they, they, a judge had to make them give back two hundred thousand dollars of furniture they stole from the White House when they left. I mean, these people should be in prison, not running for office. So well, anyway, we have a we have a president now who uh, says on TV that there are many ways to get to heaven. Who proclaims oh, to be the, a Christian? The, 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 I, yeah. I think if, I think if it wasn't so late in his term of office, I believe Bush would be impeached because he's violated his oath of office. Uh, this, he has there's no intention of protecting our borders. They're building the super highway in support of. Uh, they're aspiring towards trying to murder Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry Corsi's book, The Late Great USA, right. is the bombshell that I think may have brought that to a halt. I'm not sure. Well, he's a regular uh, on our show. Yeah. We, we have Jerry yeah. Corsi. He's also a gold. Med- by the way, he's a gold medallion holder of the institute. Is that really? Right? Yes, oh, he is. That's, wow. that's amazing. Well, he's also an old friend uh, yeah. uh, from the Council on National Policy. We, we go back a bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I know I, I read uh, Chuck Baldwin's book that he recommended um, called Hitler's Cross. It talked about the evangelical church in the last days, uh, uh, well, when, when Nazism was coming to power, right before the eve of the war, and uh-huh. how basically they dropped the ball. As these as these freedoms, a freedom of assembly and a freedom of the church to stand on its own above the state, were quickly dissipating. The the evangelical church had a chance to stand together, but they chose not to, and so they hung separately, so to speak, in some ways, yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I see this same kind of cloud coming over our very nation right no now and, and over the world. Oh, America, yeah. America is in very very serious trouble on all fronts. Uh, the 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 total erosion of the freedoms that made us great is part of the story you're touching on here. Uh, the very uh, the, the very fact that your dominant political party is openly aggressively fighting all the institutions that God has ordained mm-hmm. the marriage of a man and a woman the sanctity of life uh, you know I, I love that in pub- when I get a, ever have a public chance I always ask when did John the Baptist start his ministry when he was nine inches long weighed a pound and a half he jumped for joy and was spirit filled in the womb right <laughs> and so so the the, the, the end, end the discussion he still and was not the shortest man in the bible though you know who that was don't you the shortest man in the bible right it wasn't I, I know it was not Nehemiah no it was, it was Bildad the shoe height right? you, oh. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) This guy's a steamroller. (laughs) I was hoping you'd have me as an invited lecturer with my kind of knowledge. (laughs) Looks like you you blew that one. I have a question for you. All right. Now that we've gone into that kind of thing, you obviously know what a kilobyte is, 1,000 bytes. Sure, right. Or 1,024. It's 1,024 bytes. Okay, fair enough. Do you know how, how much is a megabyte? Uh, well, it would be, uh... A thousand, kil- thousand kilobytes. Right, right, right. Okay, what's a gigabyte? A gigabyte would be... Megabyte. Right. Okay, here's my question. You ready for my question? Yeah. What's a moabyte? Moabyte. I think that's someone from the from uh, the country no, of no, Moab. No, it's, it's a lot. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, Thank you, folks. That, here all week. That, is, that is so bad. That is such a bad... But by the way, 
That's a deliberate connotative transfer. <laughs> we call it a pun, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And that turns out to be a very useful understanding because the Holy Spirit does deal in puns in the sure. Scripture very deliberately. Sure. So I just mentioned that in passing just to cause confusion. Sure. We should probably get back on the subject. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the issue of, of uh, the, the church and the threats the church has to be able to preach freely to be able to speak directly from what well, what, let's, 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 you're, you're right. We got we got a freedom issue with the church, no question about it. But let's let's table that for just a second, and let's take a let's put the let's put our let's examine the church. You know, the church that term tends to embrace a lot of different kinds of assemblies, and one of the the things that, that we should also need to factor into our perspective here is that the. The, the, there's a movement gaining momentum across the country called the emergent church, which is retreating back into the idioms of the Dark Ages. Mm-hmm. Now, let's remember what the Dark Ages, you know, icons and incense and all. There's a number of churches getting re-enamored with these old practices. Let's stand back and realize where those things started. That was in an era of history called the Dark Ages when... The word of God was not available to the common man. It was the it was confined to the it was in the confines of the priests and monasteries and what have you. Because what what cracked that open was the Gutenberg press. Because mm-hmm. with, by printing, it was now possible for the average person on the street to get his hands on right. the word of God, and that caused the what we commonly call the Reformation and all its other effects. What's fascinating is the church today rather than going closer to the Word, is going in the other direction. Uh, churches are becoming entertainment centers. Uh, we have the seeker-friendly movement where you go to church and get entertained by with the big screens and this and that and the other. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The idea of communicating and educating the members about the Word of God is, is taken uh, uh, back seat, so to speak. It should be the other way around. The churches that are healthy and growing in, in, in a spiritual sense are those that are putting the Word of God uh, up front, primacy. But the, the, the trend that we watch, the so-called emergent church, is, a, is, is almost a movement to distract the church from what it should be doing, which, of course, is focusing on the Word of God. And so, so, so would you call the emergent church sort of an anti-Koinonia house? I beg pardon? Would you call the emergent church sort of an anti-Koinonia house? Well, sort I suppose the, so. I haven't looked at it that way. Total but I think, reversal I think because, of your because, priorities. But, yeah, because we, yeah, it's, it's, it's going in the wrong direction. And mm. our, our thrust, our encouragement is two in two ways. A, that the Word of God is primary in every person's life. And the second way, it go, the second way it's, it's contrary is we also believe in small groups. We think people grow in a group that's small enough where they can ask questions without embarrassment. We typically visualize a group. In fact, there are churches that when a group gets larger than 12, they force them to split. Mm-hmm. And that's a healthy idea. Well, I'm a product yeah, wow. of Sunday school, old, old Baptist Sunday schools, and that's where I learned the books of the Bible and yeah, learned exactly. all the Bible and, and, stories. And you used to go to a church and you had somebody that would be a pastor in charge of Christian education. You don't find that anymore. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not typically. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that's one of the things, one of, there are a lot of pastors uh, that, that are now joining up with us because we sort of fill that gap. We have a curriculum that pastors encourage small groups, and the, 
optionally, the small groups can enroll as a small group and get uh, credit with what they're doing by being part of our program. And so we, in effect, that's one of the ways that we're partnering with pastors and with uh, churches is to, to be the mechanism by which they can have their members learn the Bible and grow in the Word of the God um, uh, in addition, not instead of, but in addition to the, the, the Sunday service, Sunday uh-huh. uh, activities. And uh, uh, that we're, we're grateful for that because that's one reason we don't like to get into this issue of uh, the underground church because many people misunderstand that. They think uh-huh. we're anti-church. Not at all. Right. Not at all. Uh, we just believe that the training of people for that is anticipatory at a time when churches, because of uh, restrictive covenants, uh, because of legislation, because of the so-called fairness doctrine for broadcasting mm-hmm. and the so-called hate crimes legislation that is growing uh, at momentum, those are going to be disastrous for the freedoms that the churches uh, enjoy today. In fact, it was J. Vernon McGee, I believe, back a couple of decades ago, that made an interesting remark that uh, still echoes in my ears. He says that in America, the biblical believers will eventually have to go underground. No mm-hmm. surprise. But he added mm-hmm. another phrase after he said that. He says the attack against the believers will come from the denominations. Oh yeah. And when I heard that, it just startled me at the time, because Jay Vernon was not one of these uh, fringe kind of guys. Right. He's a very centerline kind of Bible teacher. And for him to say that really startled me at the time. And it, and as you begin to watch the the antics of some of the more larger and powerful denominations, you realize they are anti taking the word of God seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they they, they uh, you know that's another thing. By the way, we have a vocabulary problem in our culture. You know, the homosexuals were successful at pawning off the term gay to describe their activities. Well, there's nothing gay about their activities. They're life shortening, but that's the, the you know that's the press term. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're you're for the gays, whatever. Well, we have another vocabulary problem. We keep calling these people that are our adversaries. We keep calling them liberals. They're not liberal. They're totally intolerant unless you agree with them. Yeah. They're tolerant only if you agree with them. They're not liberals. They have an agenda. A liberal wouldn't have an agenda. They have an agenda, and that agenda is to separate us from our heritage. And that, that ter- liberal doesn't convey that. It hides that. The term that would describe that is subversive. These people are advocating doctrines and policies in our government that are exactly hostile to the very values and doctrines and policies that made this country from the beginning, mm-hmm. you, you look at the genius of our founders, and it's really flabbergasting. You know, there are things called the Federalist Papers that you sometimes may read if you're in graduate school. Those were papers passed on street corners. Mm-hmm. And yet today, in our culture, it's can you read if you've got enough background to understand it. Uh, they understood the dangers of, of uh, anyone producing currency other than the central government. But mm-hmm. 1913, we abandoned that by establishing this private organization called the Federal Reserve. We blew it. We really did. But the, the, found, the genius of the founders, and they, they drew their structure of the Constitution from the Bible, from Isaiah mm-hmm. and the rest, the separation of power, all those ideas that, that were traceable to their background. These but, guys were uh, very diversified in their outlooks, but very, very bright. And the, the heritage they've given us is fantastic. But, but we're, we have, we're getting to a scenario now, though, where... If a pastor speaks in the pulpit about what the Word of God really says about our life and action and our morals, they're about as popular as John the Baptist was 
uh, in the courts of uh, King Herod. Mm-hmm. Well, and, John the Baptist was never, didn't, he, he didn't. Yeah, well, he didn't try to get popular anyway, did he? No, no, he did. Yeah. But I mean, the the faith that he uh, yeah. endured. I think we're entering that phase again. Where yeah, we're, we we're going to be in that kind of uh, same risk as well too. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be seen as just other uh, religiously intolerant people. Uh, and and we're going to be seen as religious zealots, just like uh, people of Islam or other places that well, they notice, call yeah, religious yeah, exactly. extremists. These terrorists are always called fundamentalists, right? Mm-hmm. And they're building. See, they're they're working on that vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And you and I are are I'm sure would be labeled as fundamentalists, Christian fundamentalists. You know oh, how dangerous yeah. they are. Oh and, boy, boy. And hence and dangerous. So, That's right. Yeah. And, and and what everybody forgets is that when you go through an airport, they're not looking for an Israeli bomb. Mm-hmm. They're looking for Islam. You know, they, we, 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 the, the whole Islamic uh, issue is one that the, our administration and our media are stupidly, stupidly hiding, masking. They get uncomfortable. If you start talking, uh, show me a moderate Muslim, and I'll show you one that's not following the directions of his leadership. Yeah. And, and we, we uh, so you can't win a war. You know, essentially, the war on terror is both too narrow and too broad at the same time. The, the war on terror, you know, that, 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 the very term is a, a non sequitur. It's illogical. The war is not on terror in general. That, that, that's a, it's, it's a war against technique. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, it's a legacy of hate that is perpetrated that has as its goal the overthrow of our government. Mm-hmm. And for our government to, to turn a blind eye towards that is pretty stupid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, our, the unwillingness of our administration to enforce our borders is a violation of the Constitution, and uh, it's astonishing to to see that the, the debates that these things shouldn't be even open to debate. It, yeah. it should be just a question of mechanics of how to go about it, and and so uh, it's 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 uh, there is a now. By the way, our problems in America are not limited to the erosions of our freedoms. We have debts that we cannot pay. Right. Oh yeah, and and, and uh, so whoever whoever uh, wins the election, whoever steps in the Oval Office, is going to step in the quicksand because we've got really serious problems. Which tells you whether it's a nuclear event on the horizon and there's right. three or four potential scenarios, or whether it's an economic collapse which appears to be starting, or whether it's a total erosion of our our values and freedoms and so forth. It does. T- you can stand here. And we're not going to really uh, uh, be able to change any of those things. We should fight them when we mm-hmm. can, but th- there are tides that are larger than us that are coming. Mm-hmm. The question is, okay, what do we do about it? Yeah. And I think what each of us needs to do is to determine what specifically God has called each of us to do, and each, each one of us is probably different, and get about doing it. Because I think the times are changing. I think that we uh, all the uh, presumptions that we grew up with, if you grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, they're out the window. And we don't have the prote- we don't have a rule of law. We don't have the protections that we were able to enjoy for many decades. Um, we just need to understand that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also need to understand from an investment point of view that, that you know if, you, if your dollars erode about 13 percent per year, if you could buy your or if you could buy gas with 2,001 dollars, it costs you about 60 bucks a gallon. Right. And so the point is, it's not the manipulation of the oil that's the problem. It's the, it's the erosion, the deliberate. Planned erosion yeah. of the dollar because we've got of to, the currency. Yeah, yeah, well, we've got to we've got to repay our debts with cheaper dollars. Well, br- brother, the Jack, lenders, the lenders yeah. uh, aren't stupid. They they understand yeah. that we have uh, the treasury's got to come up with between three and four billion dollars yeah. per day just to keep our ship afloat. Yeah. And we we act like we're the biggest most powerful country in the world, 
And that's pretty naive because we survive only because people are willing to lend us the money to have us continue. Right. And those people aren't stupid. They're, they're, that's going to get tougher and tougher. The, the Bible yeah. says the borrower is slave to the lender. Yeah. And so we need, you know, the, the, the kinds of troubles that are coming, we could spend more than the time we have here to yeah. listen. The real point is, the real the lurking question is what we always call the so what question. So you know, so what do we do about it? Yes, I think each of us has 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 that the primary thing we need to do is determine specifically what God is calling each of us to do in the days that remain, oh. and we do this in a spirit of realizing that the days are getting darker financially, they're getting darker politically, they're getting darker in, in almost every dimension, and so and that should not surprise us. Uh, Brother, Chuck, uh, uh, Brother Chuck, Brother uh, Chuck, what, what I see when I look at history, you've talked about the economic uh, crisis, the juggernaut that we're facing. We yeah. also are provoking Russia. We're having a standoff over there in the Black Sea and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like the Cuban Missile Crisis right now. Mo- most people in the public don't realize that we're talking about blockades and breaking yeah. them and things. Russia y- usually, said just today that they were gonna they were they were gonna take anybody who aided Georgian in military yeah. with military stuff as an act of war. Right, and they've already produced American passports. Heck, by the time, Americans were there. By the time this thing airs, yeah. we may be at a shooting war. We, we, we don't know. But anyway, every empire, and, and ours is an empire, we're spread all over the world. We, we try to push our influence in, in, throughout the globe. Every empire falls. And when these things happen, when these things collapse, usually they have to find a scapegoat. And most empires in the past have picked Christians as the scapegoat mm-hmm. to blame a lot of these things on. And I can see this religious extremist label. Uh, it may even be some kind of false flag thing that happens with, uh, you know, evangelical uh, Christians <laughs> on something that causes well, this kind don't, of thing. Don't, don't overlook Israel as part of the issue. You know, for someone who takes the Bible seriously, they, they, you know, they obviously have a, a different attitude towards the nation uh-huh. Israel. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, they, they, they like to promote this myth. That the tensions in the Middle East are all, are all about Israel. That's not true. You know, Iraq and Iran had an eight-year war against right. over a million people. It had nothing to do with Israel. But the point is, that's the the myth that gets promoted by the press and so forth. So, right. our support of Israel is pro- such as it is. It's pretty. You know, Condoleezza Rice is already trying to partition the land and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are things. That, as we mess around in the Middle East, we're poking our finger in the eye of God, and I think that's not going to go unnoticed. So the point right. is. Part of the reality that we should just understand, both from understanding our own political trends, but also to understand what the Bible says, we need to recognize the day is coming when Israel is going to stand alone. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. it's fascinating, by the way, to study the the uh, idioms of the eagle. And the, you know, the eagle mm-hmm. has always oh, been yeah. the symbol. You know, that the uh, the tribe of Dan had the eagle with a, a serpent. It was a serpent sure. originally, right. but uh, he's uh, the head of the tribe of Dan was uncomfortable with that, so he had the serpent in the mouth of an eagle, and then later they just adopted eagle. That's how the eagle became the symbol of the tribe of Dan, which incidentally separated itself from Israel. That's why Deborah, the song of Deborah, mm-hmm. bemoans the fact that Dan didn't help. You know, he was he wouldn't leave the ships. He became shipwrecked. And they're missing in the uh, the hundred forty four thousand as well too. Yeah, well, the, the yeah, and the, the right exactly. And uh, what's interesting, if you study history, you'll discover the eagle was always the symbol of the enemies of Israel. It was Herod's symbol. It was the Romans, the Roman legion's symbol. It was Russia's double eagle, the Romanov. Uh, the eagle has always been, uh, throughout history, the, the symbol that uh, symbolized the, ad, the adversary of, of Israel. And so when you look at the American eagle, you say, wait a minute. Is it possible that before, when the smoke finally clears here, 
that we're also going to be on the adverse side of Israel. We'll see. But I think clearly, as you talk about these trends and how we're going to be marginalized ourselves, uh, uh, don't overlook the fact that Israel will be part of that yardstick. People are going right. to measure your your value to society by your position uh, regarding uh, Israel's right to the land. Well, and you know, that, one thing we wanted to, to really focus on in our interview here was about the, the nature and state of the underground church and how it's going to function. How could you succinctly describe will be the last bits of the straw, the last straws that will fall, break the camel's back, that will actually devolve the church from being a public entity into an underground go, oh, church, I, and how I, will it function afterwards? I think it will go inch by inch by inch. The way you persecute a group is, first of all, you define the group, and secondly, what you do is you marginalize that group. Thirdly, what you do is you rule, make rules, laws against what they do, and fourthly, you enforce the laws. So it's going to be that sequence, I suspect. But I think it doesn't come suddenly. It's going to come inch by inch by inch, and it already is starting. And uh, you're finding that uh, 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 the idea of you know attending an independent church is not part of the denomination is already in many in, in many quarters starting to look uh, uh, they look drawn to that. Mm-hmm. And I think increasingly the denominations are going to be increasingly liberal, if I can use that term. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, you, you find if you look at the, some of the major denominations, their meetings, you know, they are they're ordaining women as priests, they're ordaining, uh, ordaining homosexuals, and so forth. You know, the, it just astonishes to see the way they're moving now. So you ask, what, what what's going to happen? I think it's going to inch by inch. And what is now? What the institute really is trying to do is to educate people to get to in. The first step is to repair the biblical illiteracy among Christians. Hmm. You know, a lot of people Huge. that are in the Christian Huge. ministry, yeah, well, the Christian ministry, they're all oriented to evangelism. You've got to lead people to Christ. And I'm not disparaging that. Don't misunderstand me. But that's not our primary thrust. We think that the, the real problem isn't leading someone to Christ. The real problem is then what? He goes down the, the, the sawdust trail and makes a decision for Christ and we celebrate it like a victory. No, he's just on first base. Where does he go next? How does he learn his Bible? How does he really get some depth? We strongly believe that, that the biggest problem in biblical illiteracy isn't in the general public. It certainly is there, too. But it's within the body of Christ. People to really understand what the Bible says, to really understand that the millennium is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, and it has all kinds of implications in the New Testament. Uh, so uh, on and on. The, the, uh, so what the Institute is, is, in effect, a way to take courses in privacy. You're on your own. When you sign, when you sign up for a class, for example, you're, you, you find yourself in a virtual classroom with, say, 12, 11 other people. Okay. And what you end, it'll cost, it'll take you probably two hours, three hours a week to take a course. But those two or three hours can be any time during the week. You don't have to be online at a certain time. Any time you have a, a few hours, an hour, two or three, whatever, it can be at 5 a.m. in the morning. It can be after midnight. It can be at your office. It can be in your home. The point is, during that week, You'll spend on your clock, nobody else's, you spend the time to review some material, to answer some discussion questions, to respond to somebody else's discussion questions. At the end of the week, you'll be confronted with ten multiple choice, two false kinds of questions. You knock those off and get an immediate grade for the week. And then after, say, 12 weeks, you have, in addition to all that, you have maybe a hundred question final exam. With all of that, a transcript is maintained. And, uh, but the point is, what's interesting is you're doing it in your own location, wherever that might be, you're doing it on your own clock, 
See, it lends itself to underground practices, if you, if you recognize this. Hmm. And as you grow and learn and, and so forth. And by the way, you're also, what makes it fun is the relationships within that classroom. You do have a live, real person there that's also just a coach. We call him a teaching assistant to have the people, whoever, have each of the people, he, he gets his points by the number of people that complete the course. That he's, he's just there to see you make it all the way. Because there will be, you know, life happens. There's a time you may have to fall back a week because you just couldn't get at it, whatever. No problem. They, they work that all out. So the point is, this is a type of study that's independent, personal, private, not alone, because you're in a group and there's discussion within the group that is the most fun part of the whole experience. But what comes out of this then are people that, first of all, know their Bible. There are also people that are trained in coaching. There's also people, mm-hmm. we don't deal in term papers and the more advanced stuff, we deal in presentations. And the class grades the presentations. In a 12-week class, you spend eight, you pick a topic, we give you access to our intelligence database, which is connected to all the intelligence agencies, mm-hmm. by the way. That's a major asset of the Institute. Mm. We call it the Issachar database, but it's basically, it's a repository of all the materials and all the presentations, and it's also got links to, to James, to Devka, to Stratfor, to uh, uh, Oxford Analytica, you know, to major systems. The point is, and you have assignment, you, you, you develop your five, your bullet briefing, your five minute thing on your topic. At the end of say eight weeks, you post it. And the class then, the last four weeks or the twelve weeks, grades each of the other presentations. Now why do they do that? Well, first of all, for two reasons. We're training communicators, if you will, point one. Doing a term paper does not make you a communicator. Uh, but the second thing it does, it also trains discerners. Because by the time you're taking a class, you've not only done a presentation, you've graded eleven others. Mm-hmm. And so out of that, that's, that justifies the label of what we're doing as a think tank, because the real, see, we, we, our students are not juniors. Mm-hmm. Some of our students are top officials in major agencies. Right. We, that's why we, don't, we try not to use the word student, because it's misleading. They're members. And mm-hmm. these are people that may be learning their Bible for the first time, but they're at the top of their, their profession. So your influence, can, can you give us, you know, this is a little off topic of what our interview was, was about, but since you've brought this up, can you give us a little hints without naming names about some of the high levels within various parts of our society that are actually involved in your during materials? Y2K, y, during Y2K, we had a mole on Clinton staff. We had access to the Chevron boardroom. We had... Uh, 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 we, we have today access in ways that I want to disclose to the top levels of home, Department of Homeland Security. Once a year, we go to Israel twice a year. We have a Bible study tour in the spring like a lot of people have. In the fall, we have a closed group of 40 people. We go to Israel and we're hosted by the IDF, the Mossad, Shin Bet, and the Knesset and get an inside briefing on what's going on. Uh, we have people that are uh, the, the guy that may be, end up being the next prime minister was our speaker uh, with us last fall when we were there. Mm. Um, in terms of the uh, uh, the kinds of... Uh, uh, we had... Uh, I had one of our members... We have both. We both we were both at a particular city for different reasons. We were there, me and my and Dan and our gang were there to speak at a certain conference, but one of our members wanted to meet with us at his hotel, so we were there just for a quick breakfast meeting with one of our members. And when he was, he had to break loose because he was there for a meeting, and it was the head of the FBI that came out of the meeting to call him in because he was late. <laughs> so, so wow. it, was a, it was a Department of Homeland Security kind of group mm-hmm. that was meeting. My point is, some of our members are pretty. Oh, I'll give you another better example. 
uh, Bob Kornuk and I, I was pushing Bob to, we wanted to get to Babylon uh, before it gets sealed off, you know, before we think it's going to get, so we wanted to get there and get some footage for my briefing packs and stuff. Well, the word got around, apparently, because the head of the military attachment, the Marines that are guarding Babylon, is a member of ours. So he sent me, he took a couple of gunships, took some footage, uh, sent, sent it to me with a letter on Department of Defense stationery saying, Chuck, this is unclassified, you can use it as you like. And that's the film clips that we use in our briefings. Because wow. it was done by our guys there. You with me? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you another example. Let me give you a juicy one. This is got to, I got to do this very, very carefully because I don't mm-hmm. want to, um, there is, first of all, you probably know that the largest embassy that the United States has is being built in, in Iraq. It's enormous. In, it's in, in Baghdad. It's right. enormous. Mm-hmm. 114 acres, uh, uh, I think, uh, 20 buildings, uh, there's 5,000 people. You know, it's a big deal, right? Picture this, though, before I start the other thing. That obviously is totally independent power, water, they have their own, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an embassy in a yeah. hostile country. Um, can you imagine the kind of communication facilities it must have? It's a U.S. embassy during wartime in the middle of Iraq. Can you imagine, you can just imagine whatever we know how to do, that's there, right? I, I see it almost like another Berlin. Here, well, here okay, we now, have now let me shift. Now let me, having said that, let me mention something else. Now this is classified. There is a project that has as its goal the connection of the main optical fiber channels from Europe with the fiber optic channels of Asia. Mm-hmm. These are being connected in a communications hub that is a highly classified project, U.S., U.N., and this is not a rumor. I actually have a list of the vendors involved, but it is, it is a very sensitive classified issue, apparently. You would think that someone, where would you put this kind of a hub? Well, Putting it in Iraq is a surprise in the first place, and if you were going to put it in Iraq, you'd think that it would be next door to or somehow involved with their embassy, wouldn't you? Yeah. No. It's 55 miles to the south. Whoa. It's in a place called Babylon. Now, you won't be able to find out much about this because it's highly classified, but here's the question, and I don't have the answer. I just have the question. Why there? Why on earth would they put this huge strategic communication hub linking Europe to Asia in a place called Babylon. All there's down there is a little village called Hilla and these ruins, right? And and uh, you can go on Google Earth and take a look at all this from the satellite if you like. The point is, this communication hub, to me, my, my hypothesis is, it must be part of a plan. Right. It wasn't yeah. a random shot. So something is, you know, there's some reason why, in, in anticipation of which, they're putting the communication hub there. Now, we could go on and speculate and tie this to our, our conjectures about the future of Babylon and all that. That's not my point. My real point is I mentioned this to indicate the level of insight we can get from our surveillance network of our members. Mm-hmm. And so, and so. Well, Chuck, uh, does it, that make you wonder why, in fact, this very controversial war even occurred? Could there be other yeah. motives or oh, reasons to secure yeah. that ground? To secure that ground for reasons like that? Well, I think uh, uh, you can you can rationalize that just entirely on on, on the uh, on the oil mm-hmm. uh, and, and a lot of that, you know, a lot of other excuses we use, but the primary dynamics, of course, are oil and and, uh, and uh, it, it, that's a whole other you get just in mm-hmm. the whole foreign policy thing. Uh, but 
the the uh, from a, from a broader point of view, clearly there is a very broad hidden agenda involved. Also, mm-hmm. right. You know, I wouldn't justify the war on that alone, but I think clearly uh, whether whether they're just taking care of op- using opportunities to advance a broader agenda doesn't mean that the specifics were necessarily engineered by that agenda. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, that's, that, that's a, another whole. Well, the question I have for you, given that, that, thank goodness you're having influence and people in very high places with the Word of God, the other risk that's involved is that these groups can actually put plants in yeah. with you and actually monitor what you're doing. Since, sure, you, since you're, one of the, you're, you're one of the ground zero points of the evangelical Bible-believing church and are very, very influential... Mm-hmm. They can keep an eye on you behind closed doors. Do you That's foresee true, a possibility? You should, you should also understand there are some courses we have that are invitation only. Okay. Hmm. Uh, in, in covert communication techniques that you can communicate on the internet invisibly if you need to. Hmm. Okay. Uh, there are form. Uh, there are a number of us in the uh, in the organization that are radio hands, mm-hmm. and there are forms of modulation that are that operate below the noise level. So there are techniques that are probably they're not critical today, but the, the day the day is coming when some of these techniques may be very very important for the leadership. And so there are uh, there, there 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 is obviously interest in in uh, in uh, uh, activities within the institute that are invitation yeah. only, right. and 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 the, and the the, the the exposures within the institute that you, you quickly get very everybody is sponsoring is sponsored or mentored by somebody else the other mm-hmm. molecules mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. and so uh, the uh, that's 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 part of the that's part of the fun of the excitement it's all, all right. volunteer but but I assume it, what we're going to have is is this unveils and, and we're finally drilling underground that we are going to find some Judas Iscariots in our group and sure. I know the Lord tells us not to try to look for the tares amongst the wheat. But we're going to find some people that actually betray us, whether they're well-known sure. evangelical leaders or they could be people sure. in our government or some yeah. combination thereof. Mm-hmm. Of course, we promise that. You betcha. So we and shouldn't be shocked and, 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 when and we Paul, see that. Uh, yeah, no, First Timothy 4, et cetera, there can be false teachers among us, et cetera. Yeah. No question about it. And, and, there are, and we are to test the spirits and so forth. And, mm-hmm. and by the way, uh, you know, <laughs> this isn't being done uh, outside the Holy Spirit, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, this is uh, it's our view. Uh, and we feel it's almost confirmed daily uh, mm-hmm. that the people that, that God is raising up, uh, we'll have some strange need, and the next day someone walks in the door that happens to have just those skills we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's 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 a it's a it's truly uh, it's an overworked place, perhaps, but it is an adventure in faith. Yeah. And uh, and that's where as we start forming this, it, it astonished me to realize to, to experience the fact that this is done by volunteers. You know, here we have these courses that we get. And I always I was trying to mentally figure out how could we work this out so that we could have the right kind of teaching assistance for each of the courses. It turns out that God has raised up the most. And we have about, I guess, approaching 80, over 90, I guess, TAs, uh, teaching assistants, uh, and growing. We're growing about 9% a month, which is about as fast as we can accommodate. Wow. And, and so, but the, uh, and there's probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 classes. No, there's about 113. I forget the numbers. Because some of them, you know, supervise more than one class. Mm-hmm. Point is um, that uh, this, the, the, the spirit and the enthusiasm of the team, and they're not paid. These are volunteers. They earn points in our little programs and stuff. That's all just soft, fun stuff. It's like we have a thing that is analogous to uh, frequent flyer miles in the airlines. You know, mm-hmm. little ways that we accumulate points, and those points, you know, 
create entitlements and, and we have donors and stuff that try to help us you know, create incentives and so mm-hmm. we have people in the armed forces get in for free we have a lot of prisoners that are, are enrolled in classes uh, and so they, they obviously get a free ride but the point is um, the the the, uh, the volunteer nature of it this is so contrary to my corporate background see I as I you know I, I've, I've been in over a hundred venture capital deals I've been at, uh, on, on 12 public boards I think corporate wise and it took me a long time to get used to the idea that I'm doing them a favor by letting them participate. I always want to figure out how can I pay for them because they're going to, you know, they're generating the software for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I always have, I have a, have a transactional mentality. Well, and, and it took me a long time to get used to the idea. No, 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 no. These people are rewarded in their minds just being part of the action. And so, and that breeds more of the like mind. People who have, who are interested in servanthood. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I suddenly realized that there are people very senior in their experience. In fact, many of them, uh, you know, basically some are retired or retired, that they have found a ministry that they can roll up their sleeves and pour themselves into. They don't cost me any money. Mm-hmm. They, they are mm-hmm. they are assuming responsibilities within the institute, and and uh, so that that yes, there are paid staff, but that's just a core group. We basically the the institute itself runs. On the basis of area reps and and uh, regional managers that are there because they love the Lord and this is they found a way mm-hmm. to participate mm-hmm. in the ministry that isn't the, is outside the usual idiom of the local church and it's and it, not, I'm not disparaging mm-hmm. those but there's those aren't the only way to to serve in a in a complex sophisticated mm-hmm. environment. Well, brother and, brother Chuck, let me let me ask you real quick. Our times we're just about wrapped up here on our time. Okay. And we wanted to focus. Well, I probably told you more than I know already. Anyway. Well, no. <laughs> no I, I, we we wanted to focus on the underground church and, and where that's yeah, going. And I want you absolutely. to put your put your uh, I won't say crystal ball. That's crying's not good. But uh, uh, look look into what you would foresee for the future. Once the church is really driven underground, where people who actually teach from the Bible, the Bible's been labeled a hate document. Uh, it can't be taught from. It's considered a hate crime. So we, we're having to meet in in quiet basements. Uh, our own privately following this. How do yeah, you people think that... will, people won't all arrive at the same time? Well, that's right. Casually, there's all kinds of techniques that the church, we'll study carefully. This, the, the techniques that are used in China, right? That are used in places, that, and that's part of it. Uh, the good news is, <laughs> the good news is, uh, you all probably have one of these on your desk. But the little thing here about the size of a postage stamp that has, I think, it's 16 gig mm-hmm. of memory. Mm-hmm. In other words, suddenly information. Is very dense and very accessible. I can yeah. remember when I was in the classified community, the big thing in those days was a terabit memory we did for Fort Meade, uh, you know, mm-hmm. National Security Agency. And, and uh, uh, today you can buy one for less than a couple hundred dollars in the computer store. A terabit yeah. memory for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the information appliances that are, they're not controllable. They're everywhere. Uh, you know, I have six Bibles in Greek and Hebrew and elsewhere in my phone. You know, I have a, uh, <laughs> you know, my little PDA. Uh, I can search Greek or Hebrew. I can, you know, I, I've got, I actually don't do, I do more on my laptop than my phone. But the point is that the, the appliances are, well, look at well, my laptop. I have more volumes in my laptop that then populate most seminary libraries, and they're word searchable. If somebody gave me a gift of the 30 volumes of the Ephemacine Fathers, I don't have time to read those for crying out loud. I don't need to. I have them on my laptop. If I want to find out what did, did Irenaeus write to the Apostle John, I can look at his letters. 
and it'll find out where do you speak about what. You know, it's just right. word searchable, yeah. and 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 that's in my laptop that I travel with. It's 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 the size but, of what we used to call a cigar box. Or but thing. now is the time to train leaders, local leaders. Yes, exactly right. Now is now's the time, the time for interest. First of all, first of all, our first step is to train self feeders, people who can themselves. They know enough about the Bible to find their way around, and they can take a topic and unravel it themselves. We call, I'll call those self-feeders. The first step is to, to get people to understand their Bible and to use the tools that are available. And so to, to so that they become independent themselves. So if they're, for whatever reason, cut off from society, they have the, their, their resources at their own fingertips to keep growing in the Word of God. Uh, we can couple that then with some techniques of how to, uh, to, to uh, steer a small group. You don't have to be a teacher to lead a small group. You mm-hmm. can put a DVD in the player and uh, let it play for half an hour or whatever, and then just discuss it. But you need someone there that knows how to lead a discussion, not let one person dominate, get everybody involved. And that, you know, there's, some, there's some simple guidelines to make that to stay healthy. But anyone can do that. And so the idea of small groups, 6 to 12 people meeting in a home, uh, is, is pretty hard to control, pretty hard to monitor, pretty hard to legislate against. And so uh, that and that was the mode of uh, everything in the Book of Acts happened in homes, everything. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, that's why I call it the once and future church. In other words, the real church is a, is a mystical thing. The real church isn't the collection of people that happen to meet, you know, in in, in some building somewhere. The, the real church is that is the, is the body of believers that are there involved, and uh, and that's healthy. That's supernatural. That's where the spirit moves. That's where he really guides what's going on. Many pastors are underst- understandably paranoid. They're always they're kind of afraid of small groups because they're afraid that they'll spin off and do their own thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the healthy pastors don't. They're, they're not insecure. They they they're secure in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, I know a pastor that when someone leaves his church, he applauds it because it makes room for somebody else to come. Because it, as long as they're spinning off and doing healthy things, praise God. And so, uh, the, the, a lot of pastors fear are, you know, fear small groups because they fear they fear that there be some uh, deviant kind of character rise up and take over. Those are always risks anyway. But they're uh, called they, to train those people. They're yeah. called to train and disciple those people so they can yes. lead those groups. Exactly. That's right. a calling but, of a pastor. Yes, it is. Yes, well, it is. You're absolutely right. Well, and the evangelism is not the duty of pastors; it's the duty of the people. He should be training the evangelist, and and I agree with you. And so, so, uh, but the, I think part of it is to have confidence. The Holy Spirit knows what He's doing, and part of it is to make sure that it is spirit led. And part of that's why the 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 key is pretty simple: that's to make the Bible itself, the biblical Word of God, the centerpiece of everything going on. They may do other things. What they should when they meet, they should pray. Uh, there's also a health in undertaking certain projects. Those are those are all secondary. Primary reason for getting together is to study the Word of God, and 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 well-fed sheep multiply. And so the, uh, uh, the so uh, I think that uh, speaking of the underground church, it's really I think it means they're going to be operating in smaller cells. We won't be meeting with uh, ten, twenty thousand people in a big right. fancy auditorium. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or we may have, we might have you know, the kinds of rallies that they have in an arena. Uh, uh, I think will be probably less and less spiritually fruitful. Right. I think that uh, the real action will be in an invisible network. Right. And I think it's a network of small groups, and within that network, see, there are two disadvantages of small groups, or church groups, what we call much more well. They have two major deficiencies. The first deficiency is they tend to become insular. 
uh, isolated. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, you need an answer to that. And we think the Internet and an overlaying fabric of, of fellowship can, can, can relieve that problem. The second part of the problem is close because of that, and that is they don't raise up new leadership. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that, that's why as these groups grow, forcing them to stay small and break, breaking up into two. Right. And, right. and also there's another thing. I'm not sure I'm sold on this, but the guys that are really expert in this seem to sell another idea. The group should form for an ad hoc purpose, not forever. In other words, huh. we're going to study the book of Daniel. Good. So they go through the 12 chapters. Hmm. At that point, they, they split up and do something else. They remake the and, and so they, the next time it might be the, the Epistle of Nations, and it might be a slightly different group. Well, that might, might be good when, when times of interrogation come. That may come in handy. It could be. Uh, well, keep... the, 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 yeah, you have yeah. a. Uh, yeah, it's understand. It's 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 going to be increasingly healthy to be paranoid as can be. Exactly. But I, yeah. But I think the part of it at this point, I think those are days are still a bit off. But I think at this point, the main thing we should be doing is training, training self sufficiency, training mm-hmm. to be self feeders, getting in the Word of God, and then the other thing you're doing while you're doing all this is to build your network. Mm-hmm. Right. To, get, to, to, to determine yeah. each person individually, to determine the people you can trust. Right. And, well, and, 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 and build your own private, invisible network. We've talked about that many times here. We're going to mm-hmm. have to call it a day. We've got about 30 seconds left. Can you please give the websites again where sure. people can get your Study information? StudyCenter.com, StudyCenter, one word, dot com. There is a handbook online that explains the whole deal. Okay. There's also a. A, uh, a streaming channel. There's KITV. It runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week worldwide. But that's still getting debugged uh-huh. at me. But depending uh-huh. on what your bandwidth is, that'll work. But the main point is, uh, I strongly encourage you to explore and pray through joining the fellowship. Okay. Because mm-hmm. you'll be joining people with that same concerns. You'll, you'll be, uh, it's, 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 it has no ge- geographic uh-huh. boundaries. It has no denominational boundaries. There is uh-huh. a statement of faith. I'll be startled if you have any problem with that statement of faith. It's minimalistic, but covers right. the key points. Basically, it's inerrancy, and uh, and the person of Christ, of course. But uh, the uh, the uh, uh, so check it out and uh, come sure. join us. And khouse.org. Khouse.org, and and if you want to call us, it's one eight hundred khouse one. Okay. One eight hundred k h o u s e, and then the numeral one is our eight hundred line into the into khouse. The khouse is the publisher. The institute is the campus. And if you don't mind, we're going to put those links at futurequake.com. Yeah, I would welcome it. I appreciate that. I appreciate the exposure we had with you guys. And I'm looking forward to any excuse for us to get together again. You, oh, yeah. uh, I know you have a lot of free time on your hands. <laughs> well, I have, I have make time for people like you. We uh, have a lot of free time. When we're, 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 of course, the, I often joke where two people agree, one is redundant. Right? <laughs> yeah, there you, go. There we, you we, go. We look forward to having you back. God yeah. bless you, and thank you for making time for us and our listeners. Yeah. I appreciate the encouragement. It's been a, it's been a blast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Nothing can change the shape of things. Nothing can change the shape of things to come. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And today is Friday, and that means it is... Movie night? No, it means <laughs> it's tomorrow's Tremors, or today's review of the Future's News. Yes, I know. So, we're going to actually review news today. Yes, it and, is, indeed. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the uh, interview with Chuck Missler, legendary. Yeah, you figure. know, you know, we didn't we didn't get a lot of words in there edgewise, as it were. But I wanted to say that uh, from a personal standpoint, Chuck, he figured very heavily in my formation as a Christian. Mm-hmm. I, I spent 
at one point I spent literally almost a whole month laying on the floor uh, in an upstairs bedroom with headphones on for 10, sometimes 16 hours a day listening to Chuck Missler's wow. uh, audio commentaries of the Bible. Wow. Yeah. That's something, you know, you can never say thanks enough to somebody later. Yeah. For what they Huge. did and the influence they had. Huge. It's just like uh, Hal Lindsey. I remember when, of course, it wasn't an extreme case of what you said, but when Late Great Planet Earth, uh, my brother and I got it at a Kmart in 1976. Wow. He read it through like one night, and then he gave it to me as a 12-year-old, and I read through it in one, one day myself. Wow. And we never did look at anything the same since then. Huh. Um, kind of like so. Chris Pinto's documentaries. Yeah. Just do that. earth-shattering. Yeah. Well, you want to jump right in to do some news? We've got some news yeah. to do. Yeah. You want to so. go first? No. Go first. You sure? Yes. All right. Here we go. Here's the news. And actually, we've not killed 15 minutes of time before I know. we start, which is I sort know. of amazing. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Putin says suspects, uh, or he says he suspects U.S. provoked Georgia crisis. Mm -hmm. This is from Reuters News uh, Wire out of Moscow. Mm -hmm. uh, Russian Prime Minister Vladimir Putin said on Thursday he suspected unnamed persons in the United States had provoked the conflict in Georgia in an attempt to help a candidate in the U.S. presidential election. Feel free to interrupt when you see fit. Well, whoa. So you're saying that the uh, president, the prime minister of Russia said that uh, some people in the United States provoked the uh, uh, the war with Russia. Right. Right. I know that's a shock to us. We would never, ever entertain radical thoughts not. like that on Future Quake. Yeah, but it's heavy, to, it's heavy to hear Vladimir Putin say that. You know, he would probably enjoy Future Quake. Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Yep. No, putains are what you eat in Canada. I know. It's the French fries with gravy and lumps of cheese. Yes. He'd probably whoop us really bad if he heard us say that. He's, he looks tough. He is. Yeah. yeah. Go, ahead and, go ahead and continue with the story. Okay. Uh, Putin said uh, Moscow suspected that the U.S. nationals were present in the war zone in Georgia, and the Russian military produced a copy of a U.S. passport it said it had been retrieved after a bloody clash between Russian troops and Georgian special forces. Yeah. You know, I have the name of that passport. I have it down here, too. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Uh, but I have to tell you, Tom Bionic was the one who tipped me off on this story. Yes. I did not know the passport component was in it. I had seen a headline before about uh, Putin was complaining about U.S. involvement, but then you you found the passport thing, so I want to thank yeah. you for that. Michael Don't mean e. to White. steal your story here. It's okay. Michael E. White. Now you just All stole right. my thunder. There you go. Okay. Okay. White House spokeswoman Dana Perino said Putin's allegations made in an interview on CNN were, quote, patently false. And the U.S. State Department said it was ludicrous for the Russians to say they were not responsible for what happened in Georgia. Now, I don't notice Dana Perino saying anything about the passport he held up. That's a no, by of US course not. She, she doesn't really no, comment on that. Does she call it ludicrous? Or does she call... And I don't remember ludicrous being over there. No. Mostly They're, he's just stuck with the punk big, rock. Yeah, they have a big entourage. Yeah. You know? They found gold chains there on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, in extracts of the interview broadcast on Russian state television, Putin did not say who may have been involved or which of the candidates, Democrat Barack Obama or Republican John McCain, was to have been the beneficiary. I think we can figure that one out. Mm. The crisis in Georgia flared early this month when Georgian government forces tried to retake the separatist province in South Ossetia, and Russia launched an overwhelming counterattack. You get that counterattack. Mm -hmm. Referring to Russian suspicions that U.S. citizens were actually present on the battlefield, 
on the side of Georgian forces, accused by Moscow of committing genocide during the conflict, Putin said, if that is true, if that is confirmed, then that's really bad. It's very dangerous and a mistaken policy. If that was the case, then the recent events should have an American domestic political dimension, he said in the interview. If my suspicions are confirmed, that's him talking, in that case, the suspicion arises that somebody in the United States has intentionally created this conflict with the aim of making the situation more tense and creating a competitive advantage for one of the candidates fighting for the post of U.S. President. If that was the case, it's nothing less than the use of so-called administrative resources in a domestic political fight in its worst bloody dimension. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. Isn't it refreshing to hear an honest politician for once? Well, I don't think he's... It's a shame it's a bloodthirsty KGB agent. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how honest he is, but I think in this case he might be honest. Well, that that right there was some of the most truthful things I've heard said in quite a while. Sure. Oh, no, I'm not I'm not doubting that he's not honest in this mm-hmm. case. I don't know if I'd label him honest. You can honest, call though. me Comrade Future. Dosvedonia. Spasiba. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russian forces swept the Georgian army out of the Russian region and are still occupying some areas of Georgia proper. On Tuesday, Moscow re- announced it was recognizing South Ossetia and another breakaway region, Abkhazia, as independent states. Now, here's the other good part you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a news briefing in Moscow, Russia's Deputy Chief of General Staff, Colonel General Anatoly Nogovitsyn, said Moscow's forces had retrieved from a battlefield in Georgia a U.S. national's passport. He showed an enlarged color copy of the document, which was in the name of Michael Lee White, born in 1967. And Michael Lee White, if you're listening to FutureClick right now, call give in. us a call and let yeah. us know or send us an email. Yeah. Merv will tell you, Michael, how to get a hold and of in us. And in an interesting commentary on the media, I uh, when I tipped you off, after I tipped you off on yeah. the story, I went looking in Google Images for a copy of this. Couldn't find one. Nowhere. And they say, they say an enlarged color photocopy of the document. Reuters had it. Did you see it? Russia's no. Have you seen it? No. No. Well, anyway, here's some more information. It says a passport issued in the Texas city of Houston for a current visa from Kazakhstan. U.S. citizens do not require a visa for Georgia. I find that interesting that you don't need a visa for Georgia. You do for Australia, but you don't for Georgia. Well, probably because it's a small country. Is that a satellite? Is that of the U.S.? Is well, it like uh, Virgin Islands or something? Well, I think it's. I think it may be one of those things. It could possibly be one of those it's, things. Which, it doesn't have anything to do with, with with the size of the geography. No, but it has to do with the fact that it they were a semi autonomous and nobody's really sure who was in charge. I would think that would even tend more to have a requirement for a visa. Well, who's going to stop you to going to Georgia? You still have. They have to look at your passport. It's not like Maybe. it's not like the know. Wild West. It's not like you just go with guns blazing. I don't know, man. I, when I was a kid, I played it. gangs. It's not like Road Warrior where people with mohawks well, are running. Well, <laughs> running well I don't know about mohawks, but when it's I was like at the age, feral kid that's on that little yeah. boomerang thing. Yeah, yeah. People. Mad Max is there, and he's got his little glove on and yeah. all that stuff. No, um, when I was a as a person on side, when I played when I was a young kid, I played at a sort of a barn raising dance thing. I, uh, I play music there. Any of you people who collect interesting factoids about Tom Bionic? Uh, and where's the, there? There. Where? You know there. Uh, okay. Anyway, I played some music uh, in the United States at a barn raising, and the guests of honor were a bunch of Georgian nationals. Huh. And they were uh, 
let's just say they liked alcohol. Yeah. Very and Eastern European with the region. With alcoholic consumption. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, they got a little crazy. Mm-hmm. They sure liked American barbecue. Did they really? They the the uh, capitalist imperialist barbecue. Yes. Okay. Because that was like in 1985 or something. So yeah. Well, that's good. Would have been imperialist barbecue at that point. Hey, I, I, we do need to update people though about um, when last we read the news to them, we told them about the perilous situation with the ships that were. Uh, uh, going to go into Pody. Yeah, I don't think they docked. No, they wimped out. At the last minute, they went off to this other one away from Pody. Mm-hmm. They would not confront the Russian ships. Well, that ought to tell you something right so there. So what's going on? That's what uh, I want to know. They're, Vladimir Putin, he wants to know too. Well, there is, um, I believe there are some more French ships and Italian ships, or not Italian, French, German, and Spanish ships on the way. Did you, did you hear? I read too, I don't have the, the article here, that... There was an African-American soldier that was captured, too. Oh, yeah, I heard about that, too. Yeah. Total media blackout. I think the most important thing, though, hopefully people in Future Quake have caught, have you seen the president of Georgia eating his own tie? I saw that, too. That was very weird. Eating his own tie. And the BBC had it on there where he was doing it. Yeah. It looks like something on, on Saturday Night Live or something like that. Yeah. What's going on with that guy? I, d- I don't know, but I guess we should have you read a story. He might be under a little stress, perhaps. Could be. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, uh, mine is, at first at first glance, you would think it's a little bit light. But uh, when you start considering the implications of it, uh, I think it's not quite as light. Okay. Uh, it's called, the article is called Unusual Habit, uh, Italian Priest Planning Non-Beauty Contest. <laughs> Sorry, I just find that very funny. Uh, It's from the Associated Press. An Italian priest and theologian said Sunday he is organizing an online beauty pageant for nuns to give them more visibility within the Catholic Church and to fight fight their dour image. The Miss Sister 2008 contest will start in September on a blog run by Reverend Reverend, uh, Antonio Rungi. Rungi? We'll go with Rungi. And we'll give nuns from around the world a chance to showcase their work and their image. Their work. Nuns are a bit excluded. They are a bit marginalized in ecclesiastical life, Rungi said. Rungi, a theologian and school teacher from the Naples, Italy area, said visitors to a site will have a month to vote for their favorite nun. (laughs) Nuns will fill out a profile including information about their life and vocation, as well as a photographer. We're not going to parade nuns in bathing suits, Rungi said, but being ugly is not a requirement for becoming a nun. External beauty is a gift from God, and we mustn't hide it. Now, aren't nuns supposed to be celibate? Yes. They offer themselves only to God. Yes. And it's like a marriage kind of thing. Yes. To God. Yes. And that's why they cover up so yes. much out of modesty. Yes. So now they're sort of undoing that? Yes. Huh. Now, now you're immediately sensing the weird implications of this. At first, it's kind of funny. Now, w- was this Father Guido Sarducci? No, was this, was, this? this was... Because that sounds like something he would This do. was Reverend Antonio Rungi, uh, hmm. a theologian and school teacher from the Naples, Italy area. I, I surmise that they are running extremely low on nuns and that 
people who want to take that kind of vow yeah, for nobody, whatever reason. Nobody buys into their it's theology. Because, you know, priests are in low demand. So sure. they're just figuring since the ch- since by their beliefs the church can do whatever they please. Yes. And is not restricted by mm-hmm. anyone. The church is the final authority. That they could do. Yeah, sure. They could burn Bibles in a big pile if they want to. Yeah. If the church says it's okay. Heck, they could build a cathedral out of bones. Oh, wait, mm-hmm. they already did that. Where is that at? It's in Italy. Out of bones? Yes. It's totally... Is this to Molech? No. No, but it is... Oh, it, wait, that's a Bohemian Grove. That's a Bohemian Grove, sorry. and it's a big owl. Yeah, okay. you got to get your... you got to get your... Uh, your your satanic statues correct. Yeah, I don't keep up with yeah, no, this Yeah, no, I was actually talking today on the phone uh, with one of our... I had heard about this, but I hadn't talked mm-hmm. to anybody who had seen it. Um, I was actually talking on the phone today with one of our buddies... Uh, here at Future Quake, Chris Pinto, and he brought it up. Mm-hmm. And I said, have you seen that? He said, yes. The Church of Bones? The Church of Bones in Italy. Does the like the building trustees, do they have to worry about osteoporosis or anything like that? Yeah, they get some calcium deposits from time to oh, time. and they got to take. You wouldn't imagine amount, the amount of glucosamine they have to take. Oh, and chondroitin. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's sort of a joint compound. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for sharing that with us. I'm here for you. Okay. Would you like another story here? Uh, hit me. To amaze and inspire? Yeah. Uh, for those of you keeping score at home, this is number three, story number three of Tomorrow's Tremors. Uh, Christian talk uh, host calls Farah book unbiblical. But we should get him on here. Uh, this is uh, talking about Joseph Farah, uh, and this comes from World at Daily. It's funny you should mention that because as of this moment that we're recording this, mm-hmm. We do have him scheduled to uh, speak with us. Interesting. Well, hopefully. Within a week or so. Hopefully nothing happens. Sometimes yeah. things do happen. Yeah. We've had some guests that bug out. Yep. In fact, uh, he had to cancel out on us at the last minute before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. It'll be a little brief talk. But anyway, it's about this book. Let me just share with you. And what is interesting is it brings in Janet Parshall, condemns advising voters to choose none of the above. Janet Parshall host a radio show for three, three and a half hours before we come on the air. Yes. It's across the country. It's syndicated, mm-hmm. but it also comes on the station. Now, she's the person who believes that, um, I've heard her say that uh, you have to vote. Voting for one of the two parties is good. Well, now, you're stealing the Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. You're going to take it all back. Won't you, like, read the last page? Read the last page of, like, Harry Potter or something while you're at it there and there. And then... Okay, here we go. Okay, go ahead. Here's a headline, Washington. A Christian radio talk show host has labeled Joseph Farah's new book, who's the head of World Daily, uh, called None of the Above as unbiblical because it advocates not voting for either of the two major party presidential candidates this November. Janet Parshall, host of Janet Parshall's America, syndicated by Salem Radio Network, told Christian TV show host John Ankerberg Sunday, there's a book floating around now called None of the Above, that advocates exactly the position you talked about. When we do that, we have advocated the antithetical position that what we know to be biblical uh, truth. Because when we set it out, now she's presuming that the only other option is to not vote at all. Yeah. Well, Unless she means set it out, mean don't support our Well, one of the things I'm wondering about is, isn't the whole idea of the lesser of two evils uh, sophistry? Because it's the evil that gets done, isn't it? Sounds good to me. Okay, she says here, because when we set it out, what we're saying in essence is our vote doesn't count. We don't care to influence and occupy. So there we are trying to occupy. That's a dominionism point. 
Yes. So she is suggesting the occupation of yes. our... In other words, we should force ourselves over non-believers in earthly power, mm-hmm. political power, which is the same we as military. We should disregard free will. And in, basically, in, in by essence. force, in yes. the earthly kingdom, take over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I will agree with her point that just not voting at all is not an answer. We... Uh, no. We're called as citizens. You shouldn't vote for democracy is required to vote. Yeah. But the fact is we have choices. In fact, we just interviewed one of them. Uh, and I say it's just one of them, but um, the Constitution Party vice mm-hmm. presidential can- candidate was on last week. Yes. And um, we have at least three additional national parties. We have Constitution Party. We have the Libertarian Party, Green Party. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that, that are on enough ballots where they could theoretically mm-hmm. elect a president, and then you have smaller local ones. It's too bad we couldn't start a future quake party. We'd go get some balloons and a cake. Yeah, but then we might have to sell out. That's true. You know, to our special we got interest. on the municipal government. Yeah, you know, the money's too good right now. Dr. Future for assistant treasurer. Yeah, vice president. <laughs> president of all vice. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, vice are in trouble. Here we go. Uh, let, let's let her elaborate here. Yes. Uh, the other person's vote takes precedence if you would not vote. The other person de facto gets the vote. Uh, calling the Bible the plumb line of truth, Partial said, Scripture says that if he knows what's right and don't do it, that's called sin. Uh, so that would mean that when she says vote for someone who calls evangelicals agents of intolerance, that would be... Doing what you know is right. I wonder if she's heard the uh, if she's heard the quote that George Bush uh, said that everybody goes to heaven. I mean, including Islamic, including, whatever including you Muslims believe. And yeah, there's many. Yeah. Essentially, just there's no. Yeah. Well, McCain will have selected his running mate, and as of we won't know until in the morning, as the day we're recording this, so we don't know. But mm-hmm. we will say, regardless of who he picks, he said he was completely fine picking a pro-choice running mate. That shows how strong yeah. his pro-life credentials are, but as long as you vote for that, that's according to yeah. her. Scripture says you you know you know what's right. Thus she compl- uh, she says believers she added are called to influence and occupy until Jesus returns. Thus she concluded it is critical that Christians vote this November for whichever of the two major politi- presidential candidates seems most likely to advance their values. Where in the Bible does it say you have to vote for one of two major presidential? Is that, get, you've got a verse there on you. On here. Uh, I'd like to ask her. I'd like to get around there about that. May I, I'll ask her if she could read the verse about the two major ones yeah. to see, see where that is. Mm-hmm. However, responds Farah, despite the fact that none of the above reaches a different conclusion that Christians, as a tactical matter, are more likely to advance their cause this November by taking a principled stand against both presidential candidates. His book is argued from a thoroughly Christian biblical perspective. Therefore, it's wrong, he argues, to cast him as some sort of religious heretic simply because of a difference in political strategy. Now, I need to clarify is that I think he still thinks that he can salvage the Republican Party and if he is right, I believe, in that if you vote for a McCain, you're going to get a McCain or worse in the future. So if you do not vote for them now and you still hold hope for the Republican Party, maybe there's a vain chance you'll get something better if they show that you're not yes. on a leash. However, mm-hmm. I still think it is uh, uh, naive of him to think that the Republican Party is salvageable. Well, History would not tell us that it is. We're, we're certainly seeing a change in what I perceive to be his views over time. Maybe. Yeah. But it's a little, little late to the party. But we'll we'll 
Wait, well, he doesn't, seem like a real, he doesn't seem like a real partier to me. We'll save that for another day. Janet, okay, here's his quote. Janet Parshall is a fine Christian broadcaster, and I'm sure she thinks she's just arguing passionately for her beliefs regarding Christians' duty to vote, said Farah. Which, you know, he gives her credit that I don't see her giving him. No. Uh, well, although it's, we've just taken a, partisan, we've so. just taken a portion of her quote. Yeah. So, uh, However, she also happened to label my book and by extension me, the author, as spreading an unbiblical and even sinful message. That's not right, especially since I'm quite sure, based on her televised comments, that she has not read the book and doesn't even really understand my thesis regarding this election. Farah, a national veteran, uh, veteran national journalist for over 30 years of major media experience and the founder of WorldNetDaily.com, the Internet's premier independent news website, uh, I think it'd be under Future Quake in my book, but yeah, me too. Maybe not numbers, but is a Christian, and he is a Christian, and makes no attempt to hide his evangelical views in his popular daily columns. Mm-hmm. Rather than call his book unbiblical on Christian TV, says Farah, he would rather Partial had invited him to be a guest on her daily radio show, so they could discuss their differences publicly. Nevertheless, he welcomes the opportunity to debate Partial on her show anytime. Well, wow. good. It's interesting that he. Uh at the time of this writing, she has an extended uh, invitation to that interview. Uh, well, of course, I just got this late in the day. In fact, oh, okay. I so think there is a the, the video. I take back what I said. There you go again. Yep. That's even worse. <laughs> there is a um, video on John Ankerberg that they refer to. Hopefully that's online. If so, mm-hmm. uh, just got this hot off the presses before we went to, to air oh, here. that's why it's smoking. So, yes. So, maybe I'll uh, get a chance to go watch it and see what really comes out because in the past I've thought highly of John Ankerberg. So, we'll uh, we'll just see what shakes out. But that's interesting. You don't see those kind of things publicly happen. No. Right? But I think it's going to happen more. Yeah, as well. things get more intense, as people go after Bible-believing people more, yep. I think you're going to find... Uh, what people are really made of. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be pretty scary. We're going to be shocked at some people. Yes. Yay and nay. Yes. Okay. You got another story for I us? I do we have one. A, we got two and a half minutes. Okay. I'll go quick. Uh, U.S. Ba- says banks on problem list rose 30% in quarter. The U.S. Federal Deposit Insurance Corp. said its problem list of banks increased 30% in the second quarter due to the highest total in five years as more commercial real estate loans were overdue. Okay. Might have been a little fast. Yeah. The list had 117 banks as of June 30th, but up from 90 in the first quarter and the highest since mid-2003, the agency said today in its quarterly report without naming any institutions. FDIC-insured lenders reported net income is $4.96 billion, down 87%. Wow. Yeah. That just hit me. Down 87% from $36.8 billion in the same quarter a year ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. More banks will come on the list as credit problems worsen, FDIC Chairman Sheila, Sheila Bear said at a news conference in Washington. It's funny, Bear would be a financial person. Of course, Bear Stearns had that name, too. Yeah. That's all a sign, too. It's, I don't know if it's a sign, but it's weird. Uh-huh. Regulators had added to the list as bank assets, liquidity, and other f- fiscal measures weaken. Regulators are adding to the list as bank assets, liquidity, and other fiscal measures weaken. I said that correctly for a second time. Nine banks have failed this year, including California-based mortgage lender IndyMac Bank Corp. Incorporated, which the FDIC is running as a successor institution, IndyMac Federal Bank FSB. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. S- second lowest earnings. 
Second quarter earnings fell from $19.3 billion in the previous quarter, driven by higher provisions for loan losses, the FDIC said. It was the second lowest net income reported since the fourth quarter of 1991, behind the $600 million reported in the fourth quarter of 2007, the agency said. The results were pretty dismal, and we don't see a return to the high earning levels of previous years anytime soon. Wow. So... The banks, the national agencies like Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, all falling apart. Yes. They're having to take money out of our treasury. Down 87%. And the stock market keeps going up. Yes. I think this happened in 1929, if what I read correctly. Yeah. Well, it was an irrational exuberance, mm-hmm. to quote. Well, Reed's and man. one of the things, too, is uh, uh, a little a little organ called the PPT, which is the Plunge, Plunge Protection, Protection Team. Yeah, we'll have to have them on our show, yeah. but we got to go. Okay, let's go. Uh, we need to get Merv on here to tell you how to get a hold of us. So, Merv, tell them how to get a hold of us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we've got three minutes or three, ten, three seconds. Bye. (laughs) Hey, have a great week. We'll see you back next week. Until then, hope your future is very bright. Goodbye. Sign on. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. There are new dreams crowding out old realities. There's revolution sweeping like a fresh new